Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I had a shit ton of food. I don't know about y'all, but hope you ate enough food to help you forget what happened on Friday. That abysmal showing. I mean, good Lord, you know you all know what I'm talking about. That was easily the most disappointing loss of the season for the Racebacks. Without a doubt, the most disappointing loss of the season. We've lost six of seven to a program that has absolutely zero business beating us, that has absolutely zero business being on the same football field as us or any playing surface in general. It boils my blood, I mean, to this moment, thinking about how Mizzou acts like they're expected to beat us. Even though they're a 5-6 and six team, they feel like they're expected to beat us. That, you know, not that we are a guarantee, guaranteed win for them to go to a bowl game, but they like their chances more than they ever should. I mean, we have a surplus of advantages over Missouri. We have so many advantages over them, and we continually cannot get it done. It's about time we start treating this game like an actual rivalry and how Mizzou treats it, because they clearly show that they want it a lot more than we do. They show that, that that this game actually means something to them. We made Missouri look like a team that I think even they know they aren't. And this was, without a doubt, the worst offense we faced all season, and they freaking carved us. It blows my mind how a program like Missouri can continually own a program like Arkansas. It makes absolutely zero sense. Welcome back to Views from the Hill, episode 15. In this podcast, we provide vital information regarding the greatest collegiate athletic program in the country. Top deuce, not deuce. Additionally, we recap and preview weekly matchups, provide recruiting updates, and updates on professional hogs across whatever sport it is that you may follow. This is just another example of this Arkansas Razorback team failing to play a complete four-quarter game of football. We didn't play one complete football game the entire season, not one. It was either we played great in the first quarter and great in the fourth, and we were invisible for the second and third quarter, or we would be asleep for the first half, wake up at the second half. It just we never played a full, complete game. Not one time did we. Maybe after the last few games, you know, fighting LSU to the wire, or boat racing Ole Miss, you know, you probably believe that we do the same thing against Missouri, a team that's much worse, a team that's much worse than LSU, that's much worse than Ole Miss, and arguably when Liberty's at their full strength, might be worse than Liberty, really. I mean, seriously, they're they're worse than Auburn, and we beat Auburn at their place. They lost in overtime, seventeen to fourteen. Missouri did. And what was probably, or excuse me, in what is probably going to be the most critical offseason ever in college football with the transfer portal, we needed to head into this offseason with momentum, and we failed to do that. December fifth is going to be a max exodus, and it'll be one of the craziest days in college football has ever seen. What we will see. I guess we'll find out. I'm not even going to recap the Missouri football game. I'm just going to rant about it because I'm so pissed off about that showing on Friday. I mean, what a disappointing end to a disappointing season, an underwhelming season. Hell, leading up to the damn game, I mean, we got a great win against Ole Miss. We were, what, 5-5, five and five, get a great win against Ole Miss, smoke them. It was 42-6 to six at one point, wound up winning by double digits. We're going to a bowl game. That was on Saturday. In the next few days, in the ensuing days, Warren Thompson quit the team, which actually did that before the Ole Miss game. But then Miles Slusher and James Joyner quit earlier in the week. Uh, James Joyner didn't even tell the running backs coach. He didn't even tell Pittman. Pittman found out in his press conference. I don't know about you all, but – I can't think of one game this season outside of the Cincinnati game where it was a close contest that Arkansas came out on top. I really can't. Yeah, you can't because that was the only close game we won. If we won a game this year outside of the Cincinnati game, it was via blowout or a double-digit win. I mean, we couldn't get over the damn hump in a single close game this season. 11 points. 1-1. One, one. 11 points is the difference between this team being 10-2 and two and 6-6. Six and six. And, yeah, sure – I'll probably agree with most of you. I don't think we are a 10-win team. I don't. But we, an 8- or 9-win team was 
This is what this team is, an eight or nine eight or nine win team. Hell, you could even venture to say seven. If the ball rolled our way a couple games, we could have been a ten win team. But I know one thing for damn sure we're better than six wins. That just comes down to execution. It's a blend of things. It comes down to execution, coaching, decision making, everything else, preparation, you name it. I'm just disappointed with how the season ended because this team is so much more talented than six and six. They're so much more talented than that. You put our team up, you know, man for man against a six and six team like Missouri, eighty five percent of our players are better than theirs. That's and that might be putting it lightly. It might be ninety percent. I mean, this loss to Missouri just encompassed all of that that we are so much better than a six and six team, but we played like it against Missouri and in other games this season. I mean, this offseason it's gonna be wild. It's gonna be absolute hecticness and it starts it officially starts Monday. It's already starting to happen though. A lot of tough choices are gonna be made. Pittman's got some big time decisions ahead of him with coaches, players, I mean hell, you name it. Other staff choices. I mean, we'll get into a little bit of that later, but it's year four. And yeah, I know last year was great and all. We exceeded expectations probably farther or we further exceeded expectations and all of us probably would have predicted. But God, what an underwhelming year. I mean, what an underwhelming season this year was. I mean, heading into the season, it's hard to not get your hopes up. You know, we return our starting quarterback. We return both coordinators. We return four stars on the offensive line. We had amazing additions in the transfer portal. I mean, how do you not get your hopes up for that? Then we churn out that type of season? Really? I mean, college football is becoming more and more cutthroat year after year. And Pittman's going to have to become accustomed to that because his job depends on it, or else he's not going to make it to year five, and those are his words himself. Sure, we're still going bowling. Great. yippity doo da. And I'm a fan of the additional practice that a bowl game brings, but there's a possibility of such crazy turnover. I don't know the exact number, but I'm not sure who the hell we're going to have to trot out there for our bowl game. I do think that some of the younger talent on this roster is probably going to need to be elevated for the bowl game or, yeah, probably elevated for the bowl game. It needs to be elevated quickly because some of the guys that have been playing all season, they're not it. I mean, they really aren't. And it's best to cut some of these guys loose and get other guys in there that we're probably going to see next year, years to come. As for the Missouri game, though, I guess I'll talk about it a little bit. I really don't want to, but I will. That's what we do on the show. I mean, good God, our offensive line is, offensive line was, was the most frustrating. It really was. I mean, they were non-existent. They played soft. and they. I mean, I guess inconsistent is a better term of what they were since the bye week. I mean, as a team that plays physical football, we have a physical brand of football, and we pride ourselves on lining up and running it down your throat. We can't seem to keep anybody out of the backfield or get a push on anybody. Way too many times this season, mainly in the latter half of the season, teams were beating us off the ball. For an offensive line that returns four starters, way too many times we didn't know how to handle a blitz, stunt, or twist. It's just frustrating. At times, it wasn't even that. Sometimes they would just run right around us or just rip through us and just beat us off the ball. That shouldn't happen to an experienced offensive line like ours. Then, this is what frustrated most people. I mean, Rocket Sanders is arguably the best running back in the SEC, arguably college football. It's also another crime that he got snubbed from the Doak Walker Award watch list. Or not, well, not the watch list, the finalist listing. Stupid. But anyway... He's fighting for the SEC rushing title, needs less than 100 yards to win the SEC rushing title. After a week of running for 232 yards and three touchdowns, and we give him the ball 10 times, 10, one dot, one zero. I mean, first and goal from the three-freaking-yard line, and all he did was block. That's so stupid. I mean, yeah, no, 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 no. Let's not give number five the ball three times on first and goal from the three. Let's give it to Trey Knox on a sneak because we saw the Kansas City Chiefs do it in a game when they had Travis Kelsey. Yeah, Trey Knox isn't anything close to Travis Kelsey, clearly. I know we all know that, but, you know, I love Trey Knox. He's a good kid. He should not have been doing that. It was clear as day what we were doing. Anyone could have seen it. I know we. I had a feeling we were going to run it at some point because we, we faked it against LSU and we faked it against Ole Miss. I mean, what the hell, Bryles? I know I've defended Bryles all season, and I really have, and I'll be the first person to say that I have. 
But after what happened on Friday, I don't know if I could defend him anymore. I don't know if I can because yards don't win you games. We saw that in the Ole Miss game. But the inefficiency of this offense in the red zone is just appalling. It really is. It's a major factor, or it played a major factor, that inefficiency did in the last four games, in, or in at least four games this season, A&M game, LSU, Liberty, and Missouri. And we'll get to more on Kendall Browles later, but I have a feeling that he, he there's a good chance he could be on his way out. Lastly, defensively, what the hell was that? What the hell was that shit? Excuse my language, but like I said earlier, quite literally the worst offense we played all season, without a doubt. And that's comparing them to a Liberty offense that had the third-string quarterback who's playing with the flu. And I know what's more frustrating is that Missouri had numerous career highs on us. Brady Cook had a season-high in rushing yards in the first half. That is horrific. I mean, of Brady Cook's entire rushing yards for the 2022 season, I saw a tweet that Ty Richardson put out on this. 25% of his rushing yards for the season came against us. I mean, how does that not piss you off, really? A team like Missouri has a guy like Brady Cook. Sure, he's athletic, but he ran all over us. Then to make it all worse, oh, my God. Oh, my God, I wanted to throw something. Jaden Johnson is out there loafing around like he doesn't want to be there. I mean, he's just jogging after the ball, kind of whipping tackles, doesn't really care, got benched for it. Like, what is that? Seriously. I mean, get that toxicity out of here. Seriously, get that. that, God, I want that dude needs to leave, seriously. That's just what you call a cancer to a team, cancer to a program. It infuriates me how quickly kids just seem to give up on things and play victim nowadays, you know, when things aren't going their way. People are saying things about them on social media. And, yeah, you know, sure, someone out there could classify me as one of those people. But you know what? I'm not on the field playing football. You shouldn't have to worry about that stuff. Your performance speaks for itself. I don't think there's one Hog fan who's happy right now with how that ended. And if you are – and you suck. I already know what it is. You got another one, boy. ATL. Yeah. All righty, so we got the mailbag. Oh, boy, this was a fun week. I thought it would be bad after the Liberty game. It was much worse this week. All right, let's get into it. First question, where do you think we go from here? Next season is tough. Um, well, hopefully we can salvage the season by winning a bowl game. I don't know where we're going to go, but hopefully we can salvage it. Next season will be tough, but until we see the the addition from the transfer portal, I'm really not going to get my hopes up or start projecting anything about next season, though. We'll see. Was this underwhelming season on the coaches or players? I'd say both. I mean, losing four games by a combined 11 to 12 points is, you know, you can blame that on whatever, whatever you want to. Coaching, execution, decision-making, injuries hurt us. You know, we had some – Key injuries in the secondary that left Simeon Blair out there to get burned a lot. We had injuries to QB1, you know. It's easy to blame injuries, it really is, but some of the blame has to be put on the coaches, some of the play calls, and also the, the rest of it has to be put on the – the other blame has to be put on the execution that the players had on the field. So moving on, next, is Sam still the guy in mind? Absolutely, yes, he is. Will you root for TCU now? Uh, I don't know. It depends on who they play. Depends on who they play. But Max, I didn't give Max Duggan a lot of credit in the last episode about I kind of thought the Heisman talk of him was a little stupid. But, you know, thinking about off the top of my head, I don't know who you give the Heisman to. I think he's definitely in, in the conversation. You know, there was the Michigan running back at one point, but he's hurt. There was C.J. Stroud, but they got blown out. You know, there was Bryce Young, like always, but he won it last year, and they're a two-loss team. There was, there was Hendon Hooker, but obviously they have two losses, and he's done for the year with an ACL. You could make an argument for Caleb Williams. It depends on what USC does if they do make the playoff. But right now, I don't know all the finalists. So I don't have them in front of me, but Max Duggan would probably get my vote if I was a voter. I think he's getting some of the Arkansas Riders' votes as a finalist at least, so – but yeah, TCU's on a roll. Sonny Dykes killing it. Was KJ actually a forty-year-old man this whole time? I don't know what that means. Um, he, yeah, I don't really know what that means. He probably has the body of a forty-year-old. I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't really get what you're asking there. Is Pittman on the hot seat? Even though he's well liked, no, he's not on the hot seat yet. I think if we're sitting here at the fifth game of the year next year and we have a bad record, 
with some bad losses, and yeah, he's probably on the hot seat. Could Sam Scalise run a better goal line offense than Kendall Browse? I don't know. I think I think my nephew Lincoln could. At least he'd simplify the damn thing. We wouldn't be running tight end snakes on the effing three-yard line. I mean, God. I don't, you know, just give me a daggum headset. We'd either sneak it twice or putting heavy package in or putting, like, Ethan Henderson right behind K.J. Jefferson, turn around, hand the ball off to Rocket Sanders, and just punch it in. I mean, seriously. I feel like calling plays inside the three-yard line, sure, I know that the field shrinks in the red zone, but I feel like you got to simplify it to an extent and browse. It just gets in his own way sometimes with that. Burn it down. Uh, Pack, you might have been right. Uh, as much as I think you're crazy sometimes for your takes, you might be right, and I'll be the first person to give it to you or give that credit to you. What does this bad momentum mean for the transfer portal season? Um, I don't know if bad momentum has anything to do with the transfer portal. I mean, I'm sure it does. You know, losing leads to a lot of rumors and stuff like that. But there was already so much tampering goes on nowadays that we kind of saw tampering start with Mike Woods last year in OU. You know, he played in the spring game, balled out, got like two touchdowns, and then hit the portal two days after. Yeah, that's tampering. So that was the first example of it. Now it's essentially illegal with NIL and all this other crap. So, yeah, I uh, I know that there's going to be a lot of kids leaving. I know that there's also going to be a lot of kids coming in. We just had a, a Florida offensive lineman get crystal ball to us today. We already have – Two other kids on campus right now and another one visiting this weekend. So transfer pool is going to be crazy. Uh, I, I could see 20-plus 20, 20 kids leaving. I think eight kids have already put their name in the portal, and it doesn't even officially open till Monday. So as for the bad momentum affecting transfer portal, I don't know. I think the bad momentum has a has more of an effect on coaching changes than it would – the players leaving because obviously we saw Greg Brooks and Joe Fouché last year. They had, you know, they had it great here. They were multi-year starters. We'd come off a nine-win season and they hit the portal, and we had nothing but great momentum going into the last offseason. Next, did Bryles have the under for wins for the season, and will he quit the silliness for the ball? I don't know. The way he called plays, sometimes you might have thought that he's a betting man and wanted to hammer the under on wins. That's not a bad take. Thoughts on instead of someone who holds coach back on the sideline, someone who gets to check one of Bryles' calls, schemes, example, no draw on third and one. Yeah, or third and 21. Yeah, no, that's Sam Pittman who would check that. Uh, there shouldn't be a, the only other offensive coaches that help Bryles call plays are in the booth, so they wouldn't be able to check anything. And if Sam gives him the full range of play calling, then there's really nobody else who can check it or check him for play calls other than Sam Pittman. So that's on Pitt. Other than raw talent and ability, what slash who does men's basketball need to go to the Final Four slash win the Natty? We'll get to that in a little bit. That'll be for our guest coming on the show. You can help me answer that question. But in terms of what I think we need, we need all of our guys to be healthy. We need to take care of the basketball a little more. Need to get a little more consistent shooting the basketball, not too one dimensional. Too, excuse me, not. Too one-dimensional with only certain guys scoring, but our defense is going to win us a lot of games. I think we are on the right track of where Musselman probably envisioned us being right now. And we've played some tough teams. We've won some tough games. We've lost one really, really, really tough game. But I think we're making great progress right now a lot. We're a lot farther along this early in the season than normal Musselman teams are. Do you think Pittman is still the answer, or should the Hawks plan on moving on from him? Uh, I think he's the answer still, but next year will be the ultimate ultimate determinant on if he's the man for the job. I mean, it'll be year five, and in Pittman's words himself, either you make it work or you don't last five years for someone like him. So message board saying Jacoby Croswell is coming, but anybody else? Yes, I've been seeing the same thing. I've been seeing that it's either Jacoby Criswell or Haynes King that will be coming, the, the quarterback from Texas A&M, or we'll get both of them in that both of them will battle it out for the backup job this year, and if one of them doesn't transfer, then they'll have a battle for the starting job the next season. But I've heard a lot of a lot of things and a lot of news about Jacoby Criswell coming to Arkansas. I mean, he's from Moralton, so he kind of has a build similar to KJ. So who knows? We'll see. But I think that Jacoby Criswell will be coming here as a quarterback for the Razorbacks. Doesn't mean anything about KJ, but it'll definitely help with depth 
I mean, Jacoby's pretty experienced. So 10 carries for Rocket, why? I don't know. That, that's that's play calling. I don't think he was hurt, but that's all play calling. Will we ever take Mizzou seriously? God dang it, we need to because they've taken us seriously and they've beaten us six or seven times, and it pains me to say that. Oh, my God, it makes me so mad saying that. We struck gold in the trench report on underwhelmed. How does that impact next portal season? I don't think it impacts it at all. If anything, it impacts it in a good way because other guys can see that, you know, Jane Hazelwood came to Arkansas, declared for the NFL draft, upped his stock. Matt Landers came to Arkansas, upped his stock. Drew Sanders was a, was in the two deep at Alabama, comes here. He's arguably, arguably going to be a first-round pick, definitely a second-round pick. So I don't think the underwhelming season impacts the transfer portal at all. And just because how kids think nowadays, they might not even look at that stuff. They're looking at the best scenario for them and maybe how much money they're going to get. What was going on with KJ after that interception? I don't know. They did look weird. He looked like he was kind of checked out for the game. But that's kind of what I've talked about that in that KJ might not be as vocal of a leader as some of the guys we've had in the past. And some guys just don't have that vocal leadership. Some of them lead more by example, and that's just how different kids are. But – I don't know. He did look like he was checked out a little bit after that pick. That was a bad pick, too. That's normally not a, a bad decision that he makes. Garrett Duke should be your OC heading into 2023. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know about that one. I don't know. Moving on. Do you see max exodus of players in the offseason? Yes, I do. also see a large amount of players coming in to Arkansas. How scared are you now that Lane is staying? I'm actually not scared at all. Arkansas is one point away from being 3-0. 3-0 against that guy. I am not scared of Lane Kiffin in the slightest. He seems to worry about not calling two timeouts on a two-point conversion, screwing them out of the game. Has Sam checked out? No, he hasn't. Why do we arm tackle and suck on defense last game so much? Because we flat out looked like we didn't want to be there. Some of the guys did on defense, and Missouri just wanted it more than us, and they punked us. That's what happened. Does Pittman have total confidence in QB1? Bryles play calling puts KJ in bad situations. It's actually not a bad point. I would agree with you, honestly. That does put KJ in bad situations. Um, but ultimately, KJ is, the old, is our biggest decision maker. So he decides where the football goes. He decides whether to pull it on an RPO. He decides whether to throw it deep or check it down. So the play calling only does so much. The execution by KJ is the next part of it. All righty, so with December 5th upon us, we're going to talk about, about some of the coaching changes and just some transfer portal news and tidbits um, leading up to what's going to be the craziest day in college football offseason history, maybe ever, on December 5th. So it's the first day players can officially hit the portal. News will break earlier with kids. You know, they'll announce their, in quotes, intentions to hit the transfer portal. Some kids have already just said they're transferring. Some are already visiting. Some have already freaking committed. I think Oklahoma has like four kids committed. But, you know, only God knows how each shoe is going to drop with each kid. What we got to remember is that we just came off a long Thanksgiving break where these guys have been at home with their families, friends, loved ones. And obviously their parents are going to have strong opinions, but also they're going to hear the opinions of their extended family, some of their friends, some of their old coaches, maybe if they have agents, agents. You know, it raises the question on if these kids will actually give Pittman a chance to plead his case in their exit interviews or will they make decisions based off past conversations, you know, with loved ones, with friends, pondering their thoughts on if they want to be here or not. Any kid that hits the portal earlier than December 5th, then likely they didn't talk to coach or even give coach the time of day to convince them to stay. Those are the guys with choices, but some guys won't be welcome back either due to lack of ability, toxicity, or whatever the hell it may be. You know, some guys on the team feel like they do have options, and while most of them do, hell, they could be working out with another team in a month and a half, but others that think they have options are in for a rude awakening. Because with the feeling of options and numerous options comes a sense of freedom and false sense of entitlement to be more vocal than players have been in past years with their or when options for players in past years have been really limited. Look at Malik Hornsby, for example. He thought he could just hop in the portal last year, realized he probably didn't have anywhere he'd want to play at. Or, hell, I don't even know if he got a look. So he came running back to us. Like Thanos said, you couldn't live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. Okay, so 
a few years ago, if you were booted off the team, you'd be sitting out the next season. But nowadays, you're immediately eligible. There's no 25-man limit in recruiting classes in recruiting classes anymore. Opportunities are endless. It's not about filling holes anymore. It's about building the best possible roster top to bottom. Lane Kiffin said it best in the transfer portal's free agency because couple that with NIL, and that's exactly what it is until things change. I don't know when they're going to change. But college football in 2022 is changing drastically. You know, you have a loyal multi-year starter for you, you know, who might even be a team captain, and boom, in the blink of an eye, he can switch up on you and start for a rival in the coming season. That sound familiar? It does to me. Greg Brooks, Joe Fouché. Hell, Miles Slusher's doing it as we speak. But, you know, there's a, there's rumors of players on the Hogs roster. <sighs> you know, but there's been a lot of rumors of players on the Hogs roster being talked to by other teams this year, which is 100% tampering and is normally illegal across sports. It definitely is in professional sports, and it used to be viewed as cheating. Now it's the norm. It's completely normal now. It's exactly what happened with Mike Woods, like I talked about earlier. You know, instead of if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying – it needs to be if you ain't t- tampering, you aren't trying. Trey Biddy also had another great quote about this. He said, in quotes, this player or recruit has committed to blank. This should be changed to this player or recruit has reached a deal with blank because that's essentially what it's becoming with the transfer portal coupled with NIL. Regardless, numerous sources have said there is more division now in the hog locker room than ever before with Sam Pittman. That's honestly something, personally, I, I never thought I'd hear in the first few years of Sam Pittman because – you never heard anything about that. He's a culture guy. Now, when Chad Morris was a coach, hell, I heard from my buddy Scooter Harris himself. There was, you know, people hated him from day one. There was always a rift in the locker room with him. I mean, seriously. But culture issues of Sam Pittman, it just sounds foreign to me. It sounds foreign to anyone because Pittman's such a likable guy, and he's always been able to get along, get along with, with players. And you know, I've heard that there are problems in the locker room, and you know, Pitt's going to have to remove that toxicity due to their attitude, and you know. I had a hunch feeling about Slusher leaving, and I was right. I mean, Slusher seems like he was a big part of the drama going on in the locker room. Jaden Johnson definitely was. He was a big part of it last year, and he loved all the attention he got from Hog fans. Tweeting, oh, Hog fans going to hate me for this? Like, dude, get the hell out of here. You can leave. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. There's some rumors that we've heard are, you know, due to poor attitudes, um, but also – other rumors have said that there's too many of these poor attitudes to even be surgical about it. You can't even remove the toxicity that you want to. So that would explain the mass exodus, in quotes, of you know rumors of 30-plus guys leaving and stuff like that. But you know, some say the players' attitudes are correct and Pittman is the one who needs to change. But you know these are all rumors at the end of the day, so who really knows? What a lot of people don't know is that after the 2015 season when Pittman left – and was the O-line coach at Georgia. You know, obviously that was Brett Bielema's undoing. We all know that. But a lot of former players of Pittman's wrote a letter to the university or advocating for him to be the next head coach at Arkansas before he was even considered an option. So now that we're hearing so much that a number of players have turned on him is honestly shocking. It truly is shocking given how, given how players have felt about him in the past or even guys last year. What folks need to understand – is that this isn't just happening at Arkansas with the transfer portal. This is happening to more than half the programs in college football right now. These kids are just soft as hell. Honestly, they're really soft, and they're extremely easy to disgruntle now more than ever. I personally think it's because players have options they haven't had before and that that they have the opportunity to change scenery in the matter of just a few hours. As for the coaching changes, you know, after after that underwhelming season, I've heard more than enough on which coordinators should – should stay, which one should go, who should be fired, all that crap. Which at this point, I mean, it's a real decision that's going to have to be made soon. I I never really considered it until now. Even last year, I never considered firing Kendall. I never considered the firing of Barry Odom. And I know most of you know our strength and conditioning coach, Jamil Walker, he was fired on Saturday, the day after the Missouri game, which I believe honestly had more to do than just job performance. I mean, nobody gets fired immediately after a game in that manner if it's a decision about, you know, maybe getting them another job out of respect or they have a better job on the table. No. This didn't seem like a respectable firing. It kind of seemed like pack your shit and get out type deal. As far as on-field staff, uh, nothing's come out about anyone yet, about them leaving or staying. I think all the players know. 
of who's staying or who's leaving, but it hasn't made public yet. Rumors are swirling about both our coordinators being linked to numerous jobs. We all know that. Arkansas last year was one of eight Power 5 programs in the country to retain both coordinators last year. One of eight. I mean, that's a lot. It's a ton in the Power 5. And then put that into Division 1, there can't be many more teams that retain both their coordinators. I mean, hell, we've had the same offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator for the last three seasons, which is extremely uncommon. It's very, very rare. Been a lot of rumors about Barry Odom being linked to the head coaching jobs at South Florida, Texas State, Tulsa, go to the other side of the football, Kendall Browse. He's been linked to you know, the possibility of the Liberty head coaching job now that Hugh Freeze has taken off and will be at Auburn. And it's great. You know, the SC West just got a lot better. And Kendall Browse has been linked to schools like Texas State, Florida Atlantic, where he came from, and Tulsa as well. Now, if Odom departs, I feel like we're going to hire externally for that position. We'll bring someone else, someone in from another program or something like that. Hell, I'll take Missouri's defense coordinator coordinator that Duke and coach. But, you know, all that's up for debate. But if Kendall Browse departs, I think it's pretty understood that Dow Loggins, our tight end coach, he will be promoted to offensive coordinator, and he's going to be, in quotes, a great hire for the locker room, along with the belief that he could also bring in some great recruits and high-name coaches as well at different positions. What Loggins does bring to the table is that he is one of the team's best recruiters. He's landed Shamar Easter, Luke Koss, Micah Tease, Jaden Ham, and Quincy Rhodes Jr. It's off the top of my head. Those are all four stars. Most importantly, what we all know to be true, and it's probably the most credible word you could take for it, Sam Pittman has indicated in the past that if Kendall Browse were to leave, then Loggins will be the top candidate for that position. Another good thing about Dow Loggins is that he has a lot of NFL experience. I think he's been he spent at least five years as an OC in the NFL with the Jets and the Colts. Inbound goes to Butler. Double team. And he loses the rock. Diving forward is Brazil. Calls for a timeout. Arkansas basketball with seven and a half seconds remaining. Excellent. Inbound goes to and Brazil. Austin. Black with it. Four seconds. Black, tough off balance. Shot doesn't go. The fire is good. Kalani Johnson. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? I can. Beef, what's poppin'? <laughs> what's going on? First guest on the show. Welcome to it. Thanks, man. Happy to be on. All righty. All righty. Let's see. Yeah, God, I had to listen to that stupid jingle. I'll wait for you to join. Are you on Wi-Fi? Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. All righty, Mr. Beef. Obviously, I think some questions from earlier, but raw thoughts in the football season. Let me hear them. Oh, man. Well, you know, I'm a positive guy, and I lean positive like you do when evaluating Arkansas sports and whatnot, but I don't think there's any other way to slice it. It was, it was a bad season. It was disappointing, underwhelming. I mean – there are some things that were just unfortunate, like the injuries. Um, you know, I think if we have a healthy KJ all year, the record is maybe eight wins, something like that. But at the end of the day, it's still on us not building the depth to to withstand that. And it was a it was straight up disappointing year. And I think there's blame to go from all the way top to Sam, all the way to the bottom through to the players. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't a good season. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'd, one thing I was talking about is that, you know, sure, I don't know if we were a 10-win team, but we were a lot better than six. And yeah. lo- losing four games by, what, like 11 or 12 points, I mean, that that's a blend of coaching. It's a blend of execution. Can't really put the blame on anyone, like any, any one person. But uh, one question I do have, I was thinking about it earlier. So – Say if we still finish six and six, but we beat Liberty and we beat Mizzou, but we lost to Ole Miss and we lost to South Carolina, do you think people still freak out the same way they are now? Um, I don't think they freak out because the season ended would have ended on a different note. Um, yeah, I agree. So the Mizzou game really set everyone over the edge. I mean, there was enough to be disappointed about, but vibes are pretty high after the win against Ole Miss, and it was a matter of 
you know, how it happened, of course, too. But uh, I think people are close to just as disappointing. Um, but I think the fact that we have to swallow the pill of that Mizzou just owns us as a football program uh, makes, <laughs> makes everything blows. I, a better, but... But I really don't think – I really don't think – I mean, if before the season you – told you listed out all the injuries and all the things that were happening to the team um and that catalan who we were all just so excited about coming into the season their only all-american maybe are probably the best player on the team um him and kj and rocket and he goes out game one two and then all the kj injuries and then all the secondary injuries after that i don't think anyone right. would be that surprised with six wins but yeah it doesn't make it feel any better you know like it's still yeah the way we played we still just played poorly and it wasn't all injuries i think the only games i think mississippi state like it was that was a schedule loss we didn't have kj the whole secondary on top of already yeah. playing bad yeah was destroyed but uh, they killed us. So, I mean, there's nothing you can say. It wasn't like we lost by a couple points, and if we had everyone LP, then we would have won. So, um, I, think I think that was the best game they played all season. Yeah, it, Mississippi yeah. State did. Yeah, they looked bad from there on out, really, until Ole Miss. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it might be a little better um, because we don't end so bad and have to accept that Mizzou is just a, just has our number. But um, I still think six and six isn't isn't good enough, and that doesn't mean um, that everybody should be fired into the sun or anything like that. It's just we have to accept it was a bad season, and that it, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, you know, people say fire the coordinators and such. It's also just amazing that we still have a cor- we've had the same coordinators for three years. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's very rare. Well, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. You kind of hit the nail on the head, though, about you know six wins isn't. Obviously, is it great? You know, we can always refer revert back to, you know, we Sam has brought us out of the depths of hell where, where we were mm-hmm. with Morris. But you know, six wins it it sucks. It can almost be you can kind of almost look at it as it's a good thing that we're mad about it. It's a good thing that we expect more because it we is. went through such shit for so long. But yeah. He's a victim of his own success for sure. He he 100%. did what people thought were near impossible. And you you had was it Fuente who said he didn't want to touch the program with ten foot pole or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Um, and they, you know, Lane Kiffin played us to get on this job. I don't know exactly how that went down. And then they, it just wasn't an attractive job. And Yurchek admitted that he was like he was surprised how people viewed the program. Um, and so for him to turn into nine wins. And that amount of time is unbelievable. And it just shifted our expectations when maybe it shouldn't have. Um, I think it still should have because we were all we all know, like, we didn't play our best football. It's not like we played our best football all year. And so, like, I think we we were we were right in having higher expectations for this season. But um, it's because of what Sam did with the program in one year. And it being bad, bad year, and it being six wins, shouldn't fire the guy, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, he's in year four, too. Like, he said it, like, you know, some coaches like him, like, don't make it to year five. So, I don't know. He's not on the hot seat by any means. But if we're sitting at, like, the fifth, sixth game of the year next year and the record isn't good and we're not looking great, then I think he might be on it. And I don't – I'm not, I don't want to be the person to ever say he is because I I love him, but no, I agree. I don't think situation. Well, and you look at and you know you know we have plenty of time to look at next year, but the the schedule is. I know when the schedule got released, it was, everybody was in uproar because of um, the fact where it's set up weirdly with us being away from Arkansas for so many games. But if you look at it game by game, the schedule is easier. It just is. We don't. Oh, we had on non-conference games this year. And that's yeah. not the case next year. They're cupcakes. And Missouri State should have been a cupcakes, but regardless, we have four cupcakes next year. And so I don't think you can go out and win six games and expect not to 
be on the hot seat next year um, when when you should win four pretty handedly. And uh, as long as you're average in conference play, you should you should get up. You should, with an average team, win seven, eight games next year. So I think he definitely has to improve next year for him to avoid it. Um, Just and, you know, maybe that's unfair because he created that for himself being so good so early. But it's it's true. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with with Sam. Coordinators could be a different story, but. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think me and you were in agreement on that stuff. But I know we've all been seeing stuff about bowl game projections and you know, there's people on the boards talking about how the Liberty Bowl and the Texas Bowl are kind of the two bowls uh, for us to go to. Do you mm-hmm. think there's a better bowl for us to go to, or do you view those as pretty equivalent? I think it matters. I think the bowl game, uh, like the validity of it, kind of determine or is determined by who will play. Like if we play in Oklahoma yeah. or something, as opposed to a Baylor, like I'd rather have a yeah. victory over Oklahoma in the bowl game who we'll probably see for many, many years to come. So I'm curious as to what you had yeah. to say about them. I agree. I want to know who we're playing more so than where. I mean, if it's between Liberty and um, Texas Bowl, like I don't care too much. I think I would lean Texas Bowl. But um, those are all – those are both locations that our state will travel to and will have a good fan base and it's not hard to get to. And it just – they sound a little better than some of the other – yeah, like the tax Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, and the Birmingham, whatever. And it's just easier to get to better. And we've had success in them. And, um, but yeah, I, I will just wait around. And, and I think we would play a, a decent Big 12 school in either of those. So um, it, it seems like the season's over and everything, but there, there could be a fun little bowl game matchup. Um, especially, I would love Oklahoma um, because people are going to watch that because of the name. And it's a preview of of like you said the sec matchup to come yeah and no, also like i also think we're going to see a lot of new faces in the bowl game you know with the transfer portal mm-hmm. which we'll get to in a second but we're going to see some probably some freshmen playing or some guys playing that we haven't really seen all year like bryce stevens will play a lot there's rumors of satania like Pittman talked yeah. about satania playing against mizzou yeah. um but yeah so in terms of the transfer portal um I don't know. You think you you think it should be regulated? I kind of went th- down a down a down a rabbit hole today, thinking like, you know, if the transfer portal is getting as crazy as it as it's projected to be, you know, for now and then years to come, high school recruiting really doesn't seem to mean that much anymore. Which obviously it does. That's a big statement. But like, mm-hmm. what if teams value going after people in the portal so much that not there isn't as big of an emphasis on high school football? Therefore, some kids that are pretty talented wind up going to smaller schools, playing at a smaller Division One school, kind of like a JUCO, and then a mm-hmm. and then a bigger school comes and gets them. I don't know. Just all in yeah. all, the transfer portal. Do you think it needs to be regulated? Um, yeah, it's a good point. Like you, you can't even. You just historically have looked at high school recruiting rankings on who has, is bringing in the most talent. And like, that's just not going to be the case anymore. I mean, it, you still need it and you need to be able to get those guys and develop them. But yeah, there's a good chance half those guys are gone if they're not seeing playing time early. And so um, the portal is, could be more important in the future. And um, I think it does need to be regulated, which they've taken steps to um, with these dates that are now coming up. Like, you actually have periods, you know, there's going to be tampering and it's going to be free agency anyways, but right. at least they're taking, they see an, they see an issue with just free for all year round portal move. That's it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I get it. Like, and I think the players like 17 year olds that make a decision shouldn't be locked in for four years. If they feel like they made the wrong decision, like I agree. that, that they need the freedom to do it. But and they do have the one time, like if you transfer twice and you have to sit out rule, but I don't know. I, I think especially interconference transfers would have, have to sit out. I think that's a good rule they should implement. Um, that way, you know, it just, I don't think it's maybe I'm salty because of Greg Brooks and. Oh um, yeah. Say, but, <laughs> but I, I school and have no loyalty and just play the next year. I think there should be some sort of penalty and I don't think they'll do it for every 
you like year round because there's, I don't know, the appeal process doesn't seem very intuitive and they just decide to grant or deny whoever they want to. But yeah, like, no, no, you're good. Sorry. I, uh, what I was thinking is like, I don't know if you transfer as a freshman or a sophomore, you should have to sit a year. If you're a junior or senior, you're, you, you should be eligible immediately. I think that would kind of level it out. Um, but I don't yeah, know. And like, yeah, I agree. Maybe like, cause they used to have the grad transfer rule, um, where they could do it without penalty. Um, and then moving that back like a year or two, like you said, I think makes a little more sense. Um, that way you have more of an idea, like the development can still happen. And by the time you're a junior senior, if you are not liking your situation and then you move, um, that makes a little more sense. But just all these kids that, that because they didn't see the field or the court year one have to go transfer, feel like they have to go transfer is, is ridiculous. And they're, it's a totally different ball game now. And um, you do need to adapt to whatever is in front of you, but that doesn't mean that what is currently happening is the best. I think there's there's a hybrid. You need to have it there for the kids. Like they deserve some empowerment and being able to change things, but uh, it's a little too messy right now. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And then, you know, you couple all this with NIL and yeah, it just exactly. makes it more sloppy. But, yeah, all right. So, let's see. Enough about football. Let me talk some hoops. Let's go. There uh, you go. All right. So, Maui, I know that. Oh, but actually, before we get to Maui, um, this is my personal opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. I think us getting our ass whooped by Texas was the best thing for this team. Yeah, yeah I think the there's point that they are now. Yeah, I think there's merit to that. I think, um, I think the staff hoped for that. Um, I'm pretty confident that when they when Texas called and asked them to come, they jumped on it. They felt like they could beat them. It was the opposite. They felt they knew that this team was behind schedule. They knew that they were young and probably a little too cocky hearing all the hype and everything. And New Texas was really damn good, veteran team with a great coach and their new arena. And it was like, this is going to be perfect. And I don't mean, I would rather, of course, beat in Texas. I hate Texas by 30, but uh, I think, I think it was great for them because of course, one game doesn't expose every single weakness and you're able to fix those right away. Like it's a season long thing, but I think the main thing on top of just like exposing weaknesses is just to kind of bring them, bring them back down to earth, realize they have a long way to go and work on those things. And it, it led to some tough practices I hear and stuff. And so this team is much farther along. I feel like the Creighton game or something could have been that if we didn't have it. So I think, Oh yeah. I think uh, I think you're right. It helped a ton. Um, again, I'm, I would have rather killed Texas. Helping the team out a lot and just letting the players, because players hear the coaches all the time, tell them what's wrong with the team and stuff, but letting them be like, shoot, <laughs> we are not a top team right now. Uh, yeah, I think exactly. I think think helped a lot. I agree. Yeah. Also, all those kids have heard is how good they are, and so mm-hmm. like. They've only heard good things. So, you know, they show up and play a team like Texas that is just as long as they are, is just as athletic as they are. I don't know if Beard matches Musselman coaching-wise. They're probably pretty comparable. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there were, there were some inefficiencies in the Roger State game defensively that were pretty mm-hmm. glaring that, you know, you like defensive rotations were really slow on them. Yeah. Like, you play against a, a – pretty good offensive team like Texas, they'll make you pay for them. And they did. So that that's been the biggest thing. Like, and I, I know we'll talk more about the team, but I, I mean, I, last year, the, the main thing that most teams had and the biggest, um, and the reason why they win a lot of games the past few years have been just like the overall defensive ability, effort, intensity, togetherness, like all of the, the like non-pretty offensive stuff is reason number one they were um, – they've been so good. And last year it took a while. Like the defense, oh, the yeah. perimeter defense was so bad last year. It was not just all like togetherness and offense and stuff. Like the defense was very uncharacteristic. And I knew we had well, a lot more length and athleticism this year. Um, but I still thought it would take a while because – 
rotations and and um, team defense is a lot about continuity and being able to um, mesh with your team and know where the others are going to be and where you're expected to be. And that takes time, especially with a young team. And they are so much further along right now than I thought they're, it's a really, really good defensive team. Um, before last game, I believe they were like third in the country in Kempom and defensive efficiency. I don't know where yeah. they're at today, but it was a pretty good defensive game. So I imagine right. they're still around there, um, which I just didn't think they'd be at at this point. I didn't think they would either. I mean, but the one thing is like, the offense will come. It's it's going to be the like hanging your hat defensively. Like I was a little worried going to the Creighton game. I think we all were. You know, Creighton's an experienced team. They they have a good coach. They're always well coached. They can shoot. Mm-hmm. They're smart. They don't turn the ball over a lot. I thought you know we kind of played sloppy against Louisville. I thought they were going to you know back cut the daylights out of us. Really make us pay for our turnovers. But you know going down double digits in that game and the San Diego State game. Defense is what got us back in that game. So, yeah. and even even yeah, last I mean, night, it was obviously Ricky took over offensively down the stretch, and that won us the game. But what really won us the game is they didn't score for six minutes down the stretch. Yeah, and I mean that's it's all defense. And then our defense, our offense is always not pretty under Mus. Um, yeah. He gives the he gives the players a ton of freedom, and um, we just haven't really had a ton of shooting. And that's hard to have a pretty offense when you don't have a ton of shooting. And so what every what makes the offense so much easier is whenever you're able to get stops and run out in transition. And um, that's what we were able to do. Yeah. Yeah. So talking more about last night, like how Troy zoned us and really packed it in, I feel like is what a lot of teams are going to do against yeah. us. Yeah. I mean – which our shooting is coming along better. Our shooting is so streaky, though. But we have a lot of guys yeah. who, I guess, shown they can shoot it. Walsh is a good-looking jumper. Obviously, Ricky's got a janky-ass shot, but, you know, goes in occasionally. Brazil yeah. can shoot a little bit. You know, A.B., Nick, you know, some of those other guys. Anyway, but I think when it comes down to it in crunch time, you know, game on the line, say we need a bucket uh, to really put a dagger in the other team, who would you say is the closer for this team? It, considering a healthy Nick Smith Jr., who would you say would be our top two closers, I guess, that you want the ball in their hands at the end of the game to go make a play? Well, after last night, man, like, yeah. was, <laughs> Ricky was unbelievable. I wouldn't have said him after, uh, before yesterday. But, no, I, I think it's still going to be Nick Smith. I mean, it's – this might be a hot take, but I think a healthy Nick Smith after he gets fully acclimated back in the lineup and is starting playing every minute of the game, um, I think he has a chance to be the best offensive player to ever come through Arkansas. Um, yeah. He's – I mean, we haven't had very many top three picks, and that's why he's going to be – I mean, I, I, he's probably not top three, but for sure top ten pick. Five enough stats right now. And – it's because of his off. He can score at all three levels. Um, I think one of the things we struggled with in the past at the end of games is we haven't really had that. Um, no Tate has given a score. He could be at sometimes. He right. usually is like some step back NBA three at the end. Um, Mason Jones was awesome, but sometimes he could struggle at the end getting his own shot. And Nick's just going to be able to get his own shot. It's going to be pull at mid range shots that are kind of unguardable and, um, that he loves those middle shots and everything. And uh, when you can score all three levels and you have good passing ability too, like the ball is going to be in his hands at the end of games. And um, I'm excited to be able to see it. But hell, if Ricky uh, if Ricky <laughs> does that, I can't, yeah. game and can't get the ball at him. It was it was impressive watching him. But yeah, and then honestly, yeah. And then honestly, like the great thing about this team is when you when you're looking in a march. Um, and the game gets tight and you in, in March Madness and in conference tournaments and whatnot, you got to have a calming guard that can yeah. settle things down, make the just smart play. And that's Anthony Black. So while he, he even though he scored like crazy in Maui, like he's probably not going to do that consistently throughout the season because um, we have scores and he, he doesn't need to be that um, most nights. Right. And he is an unbelievable passer and we have not even really been able to see his vision yet because we haven't had um, 
our main score that we spent all offseason running through an offense for. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, having him with the ball at the end of games is going to be great too because he's just going to be able to make the right play and find the open man. Um, so we got a lot of options. I think I think the answer for our closer is ha- just has to be Nick. Um, though yeah. I, think, I truly think he's one of the best offensive players that we're going to see uh, at Arkansas. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think most would say that. Anyone – anyone complaining about last night, like you got to be realistic, like the dude has been micromanaged for weeks now. And he didn't look like he was very happy on the bench. I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure he wasn't his competitor. Like he wants to be out there, you know, and also you, to your point, conference tournaments and NCAA tournaments are guard driven tournaments. And the Mm -hmm, fact that we have so, so many of them and we have one in AB who's, Probably one of the great, not the greatest, but one of the best all-around freshman point guards, if not all of po- all the point guards in the country. I mean, that would six seven. And then you got yeah. Nick, you got Ricky. You could throw Devo in there too. It's like a good serviceable, serviceable backup. I mean, we we have this is along with the most talent, like that a must team has ever had. I feel like this team has they're very very coachable for how young mm-hmm. and good they are and. You don't get that with a lot of teams. But, yeah, so, okay. Yeah, last couple things, and then we'll jump off. So, I know we talked about the NBA draft, and I know there's different projections coming out all the time. But the more I look back on it, it look, I mean, there could be five guys drafted off this team. Yeah. Outside of Nick, I know Nick and A.B. will probably be the first two picks. Who do you think is the next hog drafted, the third one? I think he's um, and I think, you know, I think we had talked about Nick. He has the ability to be a top five pick if this season goes. Anthony Black is – people are just going to fall in love with. Um, they, He just does everything right, and it's not all about scoring. When you look at – people were questioning why Moses Moody was such a high pick. It's because he did every, all the little things right. And um, they're obviously vastly different players. They're not even comparable, but just, right. just if they look at what translates and he, he has all the skill sets you want and his shot needs to come along to be a high level NBA player. But um, that big of a point guard and that vision, and then really the number one thing that's going to get him drafted is his defense. Um, unbelievable. And just how far along he is for his age, but Trayvon Brazil, I think is the next guy off the board. And, I think it could be late first, but more likely early second. Um, and I think going into the season and off season, people would question that um, because of Jordan Walsh and Trayvon Brazil's stats last year. Uh, but Brazil just has this the skill set you want on an NBA roster. He's got he's six nine with guard skills, uber athlete, great touch from the perimeter. Um, got a little bit of a handle. Um, and right, he can, yeah. He can fall asleep on defense sometimes, but he's got good um, timing on his blocks. Like, he, he, he can tell he just knows what he's doing around the rim on defense. Um, and I think his rotations need to be short up a little bit. He falls asleep, and he even falls asleep on offense, too. Um, sometimes just Anthony Black with his crazy vision, they'll figure right. this out, but hits him when he's not expecting it and stuff. But um, he's got he's got skills that, NBA scouts are going to salivate over and um, it's untapped potential too. It's not like a, like Jalen Williams kind of like is what he is type of guy. Like he's going to be a great sure. role player and coming back wasn't going to do like too much for him because he can always get more skilled and everything, but like he's going to be a really good role player for Oklahoma city one day. Um, but he kind of is what he is. Whereas Brazil's potential is untapped. He's just, he, he has, so much opportunity to become more of a perimeter player and um, a six, nine dude that can play on the perimeter with that type of touch and that type of athleticism. Like it's going to, there's going to be scouts that, that love him. Um, so I think he has a potential if he has a great year to sneak into the first round. I think right now it would probably be early second. Right. But yeah. I think he's the next I, uh, yeah. I mean, he's got an NBA body. He's obviously, you know, like you said, six, nine with length. He can shoot. I mean, scouts in that will just drew all over it. I exactly. Mean, yeah. And defense you can teach. Mm-hmm. Offensive ability obviously is more of a 
you know, you have to hone it as opposed to, you know, anyone can slide their feet defensively and learn a rotation. So especially being as long as he is, I think he'll be okay. And I'd probably agree with you in that. You know, obviously most people saw before the season, like you said, it'd probably be Jordan Walsh, but he's just got so much developing to do that. I mean, he's, I feel like he's got a long way to come in terms of getting to that next level and being ready for it. And you mentioned Moses Moody, you know, why he was such a high draft pick. I mean, Steve Kerr said in a press conference, he's like, Arkansas and Eric Musselman prepared him for the NBA. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. that's what, along with these kids being uber talented, we're kind of selling them on that same fact that, you know, we we, we can best prepare them for the NBA. And I think that's obviously why most of them came. But, you know, yeah, I'd I'd agree with you on Trayvon Brazil. And, you know, him shooting the ball like he is, it's – I mean, that just is another weapon – in the yeah, he's got a good looking shot. Yeah. yeah. He's got a good but, looking shot if he can make it consistent. He untapped potential with Trayvon Brazil for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. So lastly, I know that we me and you probably both know the SEC teams to watch for, you know, probably Kentucky, Alabama, um, and Tennessee, probably the main three. But as for the overall projection for the season, I know we're only five, six games in to the season, but what is the point where you consider this season a success? I know, obviously, there's a lot of people out there who have unrealistic expectations, and some people think the season's a failure if we don't win the whole thing. But, you know, I think with this thing, this team personally, you have to do – like, for the season to be a success and not be a letdown, it has to be a lead eight minimum. Yeah, I think – yeah, it's hard to measure what success is um... – for this team and with March being so like a lot of it's luck driven, unless you're just dominant, dominant. And right. uh, so I think as far as regular season goes, we got to be a, a top two, three team in the SEC. Um, I think we have a good shot to win it. I would say right, right now, there's uh, looking at the other teams, Alabama looks extremely good unfortunately i hate nate oats um they did lose they lost by 15 to uconn but uconn's kind of doing that to everyone right now they jumped in like their number eight now uconn is um and they just and then alabama had an impressive four overtime win against north carolina we don't need to go down all of them but tennessee auburn kentucky are going to be the usual suspects that we've seen the past couple years and it's kind of been fun having that rivalry but this year i see no reason why we can't win it um the SC tournament is kind of a crapshoot, and sometimes it's better to lose early. So I don't. I would love to win it, and I'd love to beat Kentucky in the final or something. Um, but I think as far as the regular season goes, uh, I would love to see us, you know, in the hunt to win it, um, at least separated by a game or two, here and there. Uh, but as far as the tournament, I agree. I, I think, as we talked about with Pittman and um, setting the precedent and kind of victim of his own success, there's a lot of that with Must too. When you have back-to-back elite eights and then you get your most talented team after it's hard to say like less than that is not going to be a disappointment so i feel you got to get out of the the first weekend and then some of it's luck but um i think we need to make it back to elite eight as well and um i'm looking forward to to booking my uh hotel in houston i don't know about you yeah yeah it's true i'm you know it's contemplating going the bowl game well before last (laughs) week it was either going the bowl game or going to Houston, and I think everyone and their mom would rather go to Houston than either Memphis or Houston. Well, Houston for the Texas Bowl. So. <laughs> right, right, I yeah. got you. But, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I think the sky's the limit with the team. I mean, they're already farther along. I think the togetherness and um, uh, continuity was is the main. Portability. Yeah, sportability was the main concern, like with such a new team, and Musk is used to new teams, but not new teams that are this young which is part of why if you listen to him before the season, he was frustrated with where they were at. Um, so the fact that they're already impressing there um, makes me super excited. I haven't even seen anything close to where we'll be because we don't have one. Of, we don't have currently the best prospect in college basketball playing for us. So um, sky's the limit. I don't, I would be disappointed if we do not get to an elite eight this year. Um, but I do think there's still, despite us avoiding disappointments in Maui, um, I think there's a game or two in us that is going to be disappointed here soon um, while we're still getting Nick involved and it's early in the season. 
but I, I won't sound like an alarm. I think at the end of the year, team is going to be one of the best in the country for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we, we've seen that every year with Musk. There's always a couple mm-hmm. wins that people scratch your head about, but you got to trust him at the end of the day. But, yeah, well, that wraps it up for the questions. Beef, I appreciate you coming on. First guest of the show. I'm sure you won't Thanks be for having time me. either. Thanks uh, for having me. It's an honor. But, yeah. Love, so, love who, the who pod, play, man. Who do we play Saturday? Do you know? Uh, who do we play? It's another no-name team. Um, San Jose State. San Jose State. Okay. Yeah. All right. We we have in Tulsa. Um, that's I just think a that's weeks. next weekend. Yeah, I think that's next weekend. Yeah. Not this coming weekend, but the one after that. Yep. Yeah. Um, it was a weekend at Eric's wedding last year. I remember. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that was disappointing. We sat in the car and watched it. Um, yeah. Uh, that's the tenth in Tulsa. So that'll be a good test. That they're not anything unbelievable but um after that we're we're almost in december december's conference play so we're uh, almost there already pretty um, wild yeah and then uh i'll be in waco in late january watch, watching us take down baylor um, oh it's gonna be a good one Palm. so that i'm so excited for that one that they gave us someone other than uh oklahoma state so uh, yeah it's true that's, that's gonna be a blast they're currently six in the country and so that's gonna be, it's gonna be a good test for us. Yeah, it's true. I was trying to remember who we played in twenty twenty one, in the in the Big Twelve Challenge, but it was Oklahoma State. So, kid coming in hit a buzzer beater essentially on us. That was terrible. Yeah. And then and then Vanover had the, the oh god winning attempt. God, yeah. You know, <laughs> hey, you know what? Vanover shoot that bid. But. <laughs> All right. Well, Beef, I'll let you go. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it once again. If you've heard from Aaron Rosenthal, it's probably because of a, of a fantasy football trade. So you probably know who he is. The lines are open. Hit me up. Oh, my God. All right, Beef. Well, thanks for coming well, on, man. I really appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Love the pod. See you, man. See you. Ooh. Yeah, pass from big to big on the baseline. Council. Oh, my All right, well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Views from the Hill. Once again, I appreciate all the love and support you guys have given the podcast. We've reached 1K listens, one zero zero zero. I appreciate it a ton, guys. It's I never thought I'd get to 1,000 listens. That was not really a milestone I've really ever had in mind. But the, the end of the Hogs football season was obviously very, very disappointing. It was an underwhelming season. Who we're going to play in the bowl game? I don't know. Do we think we have a good chance to win? I don't know. Only time will tell. But it's time to get excited about hog hoops. I'm glad Aaron was able to join us, talk a little bit of hog hoops, talk some football. But until I see you guys next time, whenever you go to Spotify and give it a listen, please give it a good review, and I'll see you guys next week.